0: Let's go to Acts chapter 5, shall we? This is a great church, by the way. I don't say that to flatter you. I, I don't say that just to just to, to try to ingratiate myself to you. I, I want you to know this is a great church in all the ways that God counts greatness. This church has a good testimony and a good reputation, not only in this region, but really across the nation. Anyone that speaks of the Southern Hills Bible Church speaks of a church where the Lord Jesus Christ is preeminent, where the Word of God is loved and prized and taught, where people love one another and love their community, all of the things that we would desire to see in the Lord's churches. Acts chapter 5, just a a little excerpt. You you heard the scripture read earlier in the service. We're we're looking at the great Jerusalem church. We're looking at a church that that really in, in every way has become the prototype For what the Lord would have his churches to be. The the church is is weeks or months at the most old at this point. People are being saved in incredible numbers. The, The power of the Spirit of God has fallen on Jerusalem. The Lord is doing a remarkable, miraculous work through his people In this city, and I've selected just a few verses here, verses 12 through 16 of of chapter 5, that maybe give us some insight as to what exactly was going on in the Jerusalem church that gave this church its power. Now, I think we can all agree the, 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 the power comes from God. It's not us. There's nothing that we can do that that can substitute for the power of God and the blessing of God in a place. But here's something I have observed. Any church that has the power of God, any church that is pleasing to the Lord, any church that is bringing men and women, boys and girls to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, loving people well, seeing families restored, enjoying the blessing of Christ, any church that does that has certain key elements that are in place. And I want to share just a few of those with you this morning from Acts chapter 5. What gave the early church its power? And to try to maybe bring some application forth from that, is there anything then that we can glean from that Jerusalem church that might help us in our respective ministries, whether right here in Custer or back home in Springfield, Missouri? Is there anything here that would help us in our respective ministries? And let's make it even a little bit more personal this morning because, you know, I find it's one thing to talk about the church. Don't we have a great church? Isn't it wonderful to be a part of a terrific church? But, you know, according to the Word of God, we are the church. Amen? It's not not a building. It's not a denomination. It's not some kind of a hierarchy or a a man-made structure. The the church is the blood-bought children of God coming together to worship a risen Savior. We are are the church. So let's make it even more personal this morning than just talking about what makes for a powerful church. Let's talk about this morning what you and I can do and how we can grow in the grace of God to be all that God would have us to be individually, as, as maybe as, as a husband and wife, maybe as a family. Let's, let's think through this morning how we can be a part of a great work of God as we emulate what we see in the early Jerusalem church. I I read a quote recently that said this, the reason most pastors don't stay more than 10 years at a church is by then it's too late to blame the former pastor for their problems. Well, I've been at Graceway a long time, and I'm going to tell you, I have to own most of it for better or for worse. We just have a saying at our church. We say, anything good happens around here will give God all the glory. Anything goes wrong, we'll blame it on a deacon. Amen? I met your deacon this morning. What a blessing. What a great man of God. It's it's a joy to be with you. Let me pray with you as we look at four keys to the power of the early church. Father, thank you for what you are doing right here in the Black Hills. Thank you for a church that has a testimony and a reputation of loving God Loving people, loving the Word of God, and living life for you. Thank you for your blessing. Thank you for the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Thank you for the salvation we have through faith in Him. Thank you for an opportunity to share these few moments together. We pray that the teaching of your Word would find fertile soil and fertile lodging in our hearts. May we be changed this morning. May we be strengthened in our faith. May a hurting heart be comforted. Perhaps even one this morning that needs to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Father, do your work in our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, look, number one, at the power of the early church as seen in the leaders of the church. And I'm finding that in Acts chapter 5 and verse 12, where our text begins like this. Now, many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of God the apostles. You want to talk about some good church leadership? You want to talk about some good preaching? These were the apostles of Jesus Christ leading the Jerusalem church. Talk about a good seminary. They'd been with Jesus for three years, and now they're leading and preaching and shepherding God's people in Jerusalem. Now, the church is in the habit At this point in their history, verse 12 tells us, of meeting together in Solomon's portico. If you don't know what that means, you can go back later look at chapter 3. That was an entrance to the temple the Jewish temple at Jerusalem. That's where the apostles had just done a tremendous miracle. The the healing of, of a man who had been lame since birth, that particular miracle had all Jerusalem talking. People were being drawn to Christ and the church not having any place of its own to meet. They were meeting in the Jewish temple near Solomon's porch. You know what I find significant in that? Without any buildings of their own, without a live stream or any technology, that they were experiencing the power of God. And one of the reasons for that power is the leaders in the church, those who were preaching, teaching, shepherding, and Pastoring Now these guys, we've got to say in all fairness, th- they were more than mere elders or pastors or preachers. These were apostles in the biblical sense. Now what do I mean by that? These were Christ's own called apostles, according to the New Testament, in order to claim that title apostle in the way that it's being used here in verse 12, that these signs and wonders, those are miracles by the way, that these signs and wonders are being done on a regular basis by the apostles in order to claim that title in the way that the word is used here. The New Testament makes it clear that one must have been personally called and commissioned by Jesus Christ. that One must have been an eyewitness of the resurrected Christ. We're talking about the apostles of Jesus who were the foundation of the church. There's no pastor or no preacher today that can claim the title Apostle. It's just not big, biblically accurate. So, brother, brother Kyle, he's a good preacher, good elder, good pastor. He's been here for a while. But, but if, if you're waiting for a sign or a wonder, he says it's been almost two years, we're still waiting to see a miracle. Well, you may have to wait a while. He's not an apostle. He's not endued by Christ, nor am I, by the way, endued by Christ with that miracle-working power that the Lord used to validate both His messenger and the message. That miracle-working power is seen in verse 12 with a careful distinction. Watch this in verse 12. Look at it with me again. Signs and wonders were regularly done... Watch this, among the people by the hands of. The apostles. The apostles were working the miracles through the power of Christ. The people were witnessing those miracles and being blessed by them. In fact, verses 15 and 16 give us even a little bit more information about this. Watch this in verse 15. So they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats so that as Peter came by that at least his shadow might fall on some of them. In fact, the people gathered from towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Any of y'all go to that parade yesterday? Man, I love a parade. We went to the, what was that thing? The gold discovery days parade. And we stood out there in the heat and the sun and enjoyed that parade as it went by, watching the kids have fun, run out into the street to get the candy and all of that. And and I looked over there at, at Brother Kyle, great man of God. I didn't see anybody trying to lay down on the ground in his shadow, hoping for a healing. You say, well seems a shame to me that we don't have those kinds of miracles happening today. Now, wait a minute. I want you to think through something with me. You may be aware that there are those today who have attempted to replicate such a healing Ministry. There are those today who have attempted to and even claimed to replicate such a miracle working ministry and have found themselves utterly unable to do what the apostles did. If only they understood that they are not apostles in the biblical sense of the word, then they might understand their inability to do what these men did and stop the charade. But here's the good news. Apostolic leadership is not necessary for a powerful church. Signs and wonders are not the key. Do you understand that historically speaking, the church of Jesus Christ only had the apostles for those first few foundational decades? And then those guys were gone. I mean, most of them died a martyr's death. But in any case, they were only leading the church for those early foundational years. And then they were gone. And yet, for nearly 2,000 years, the church of Jesus Christ has thrived and survived. How? Because we understand that as important as good leadership is... This church, Southern Hills Bible Church, does not belong to any man or even any group of people. This is the Lord's church. He is our shepherd. He will care for and protect and oversee his flock, and yet Aren't we blessed by those good under-shepherds and those good leaders that the Lord Jesus Christ gives to His church? You have elders who love you, who shepherd you, who faithfully minister the Word of God to you. You have what you need to succeed. You don't need an apostle. You don't need signs and wonders. You need the Word of God ministered faithfully by faithful leaders. And it appears to me that you have that here at Southern Hills. So prize that. Thank God for that. Because that's one of the keys to a faithful, powerful church. A church that is led by godly men to prize and love and know the Word of God. Here's number two. The power of the Jerusalem church is seen in the second half of verse 12 by the unity of the church. I'll read it for you. It says, They were all together. That's a key word, together. They were all together in Solomon's portico, and that word together, it it, it implies more than being in the same place at the same time. That's important, by the way. Did you know that that in in this COVID era, as we, we saw across the nation, uh, I- at least brief periods of time, maybe a, a few weeks or so, where, where many churches were unable to meet and entirely dependent upon a live stream situation are you, did you' all have some of that up here we did we, we, we got under some state mandates and local government mandates and you know we had to make some tough decisions we had to really wrestle with that I mean you know we, we want to be good citizens we're, we're called to obey every ordinance of of man for the Lord's sake we want to do that we want to have a good testimony we're called by Christ not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so I don't know what you all did here, but at Graceway, we decided that, you know, for a few weeks, remember, what was that, like a, two, two weeks to flatten the curve? Remember? <laughs> remember that? Well, we thought, all right, for a few weeks, well, we can go with that, and we can we, we put forth the, the Word of God through our live stream ministry. Did you know that, that some people and I don't necessarily mean in our church, although I suspect we had a few, some people began to wonder, hey, have we found a new way to do church? I even heard somebody say, you know, I, I kind of like this. I, I stay in my pajamas. I've got my coffee. I've got my Fruit Loops. And, and I can just sit down on the couch and, and, and go to church. And you know what I said? No, you can't. They were together. And that word together implies more than being in the same place at the same time. I know I don't have to say this to you, Southern Hills. I know you know this. But, but the, the, the very word church in the New Testament, it, it comes from a, a Greek word that, that means to be assembled together. The the called-out assembly of God, that's what we're doing this morning. You realize when the church comes together like this, we're getting a little preview and a little dress rehearsal for what heaven will be like. The people of God gathered around the throne of God, worshiping our God in perfect unity for all eternity. And that's what these people were doing. They were all together, but not only in their physical assembly. They were all together in in heart and mind. You know, the Word of God has a lot to say about the unity of God's people. Could I just throw a couple of examples your way and just, just think about these verses of Scripture? Here's one, Proverbs 6, 19. The Lord hates... The sowing of discord among the brethren. That one that is constantly keeping trouble and turmoil stirred up. How about this? Romans 6.17 We are warned to watch out for. Those who create division. Titus 3.10, as for a person who stirs up division after warning him once and then twice, have nothing more to do with him. Or Philippians 2.2, where the apostle says, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, and being in full accord and of one Mind, behold, Psalm 133, 1, how good and how pleasant it is when brethren and sisters dwell together in unity. I know that Southern Hills is that kind of a place. Not only because I hear regular reports from this church, not only because I speak with Brother Kyle on a regular basis and I hear what God is doing here, I hear of your love and your care one for another. Some of my folks from Graceway get up here and have an opportunity to attend a service with you from time to time, and they bring back wonderful reports of a church where there is love and unity. I've seen it with my own eyes as I've just stood here this morning and watched you as you've come into church. And I see the smiles and I see the the, the warm Christian embrace and, and the joy that comes from the church gathered in unity. Now, I know enough to know this. Southern Hills is not a place of peace and unity because you're all so easy to get along with. I, I know better than that because you know, I, I know my church. The the peace and the joy and the unity do, doesn't come from the fact that we all share the same hobbies, doesn't come from the fact that we all like the same kind of food, doesn't come from the fact that we all like the same kind of music, doesn't come from the fact that we we come from similar backgrounds economically or any of those things. Those are not the basis. For our unity. Our unity comes from the fact that we are all followers of. Jesus Christ. We've all been adopted by the same Heavenly Father. We all ascribe to the same statement of faith and the Word of God. And that becomes the basis for our peace and our unity. In fact, Southern Hills is a place of peace and unity because you obey the command of Scripture as found in Ephesians 4.3. Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. That's a command to do everything you can to protect the unity of your church. I served a church in Michigan years ago. And we had two little old ladies in that church that, that had the spiritual gift of gossip. What do you think of that? They just, they just got into everybody's business. And they talked ugly about other church members. Really, for them, it mattered very little whether what they were saying was true or false. By the way, even if it's true, do you know the Word of God says that love covers a multitude of sin? They would talk ugly, and they would gossip, they would criticize leadership, and they were warned again and again and again and again, you are undermining the unity and the peace of this church. And those two sweet, dear, little old ladies kept that up until through, Brother Kyle mentioned church discipline a while ago, through an act of church discipline, they had to be removed from their own church. I remember years ago at our church in Springfield, we had a family begin coming, a husband, wife, and I believe four or five children. And I'll tell you, th- th- this gentleman w- was always upset at somebody for something. I mean, if, if he wasn't screaming at, at a children's teacher over something... He, he, he was fussing at somebody else mad he 'd go out of church mad. I remember one Sunday he, he threw those kids in the van and he went out of the church parking lot, tires squealing church uh, excuse me the, the van door was open it's a, by the grace of God, one of those kids didn't fall out of that van. It, it was just it was just everywhere he went dissension and division seemed to come about as a result. And finally, I had to go to his home and and take another elder with me. And I had to say to that man, you have disrupted the peace of the Lord's church for the last time. Dear widow in my church told me a story I could scarcely believe it but because I know she wouldn't tell me anything but the truth. I know what she told me is true. She said, Preacher, years ago when our children were... She's an elderly widow now. She said, Years ago when our, when our children were young, we were raising our kids, any time we, we were members of a church back in, in Kansas, anybody here from Kansas? She said, we, we, we were members of a church in a little town in Kansas. She said, Anytime. time... Our church would, would have a, a business meeting. Don't you love a business meeting? She said, Anytime our church would have a business meeting, she said, My husband would tell me, sweetheart, take the kids, go sit out in the car. I don't want the children to see or hear the way that these people behave themselves and she told me this story she said i'd I'd be sitting out in the car in the church parking lot waiting for my husband who who is a, a, a just just a layman in that church to come out and she said i could hear the yelling and the screaming coming out of those open windows of that little church. Now, do do you think that's a good testimony for Jesus Christ? Do you think a church like that is ever going to know the power of God like a church that is bound together in unity? That Jerusalem church had good faithful leaders that proclaimed the word of God. That Jerusalem church was marked by a spirit of peace, love, and unity. And thirdly, that Jerusalem church was marked by a purity of the people and a respect from their community. Let me explain that to you a little bit more. Look at verse 13. My page turned. God bless ceiling fans. All right, I'm back. All right, verse 13. Look at this. One of the strangest verses in the Bible. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. You know what that means? People were afraid to join their church, but could say nothing bad about them. So I, let's, let's look at that a little bit fascinating verse. The words, none of the rest, none of the rest, that's a, that's a phrase that's used frequently in the New Testament, particularly in the Gospels, to refer to lost people. In other words, there's God's people and then there's the rest. Jesus used that phrase on several occasions. So we're, we're told a couple of things about this Jerusalem church and their relationship to the lost people around them. Now, I don't know a lot about Custer. Everybody here saved in Custer? Or you got, any, you got any unbelievers left here that still don't know Jesus? Well, then think about this. Think about this Jerusalem church and the relationship they had to lost people in their community. The first thing we learn is that lost people, the rest, the, those that didn't know Christ, lost people were afraid to join that church as unbelieving Hypocrites. The judgment of Ananias and Sapphira, just in the verses that come right before there at the beginning, the, the judgment of Ananias and Sapphira had scared that community to death. They were afraid to join the church as unbelieving hypocrites. I get concerned about any church. That is full of unsaved people who can sit there for months or even years and never feel convicted of sin or their need of salvation. Now, I know you welcome lost people into your church. I know you want people to come in and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do too. But we know this. A lost person can only sit under that Word of God for so long where well, one of two things has got to happen. They've got to get right with Jesus or get out from under that Word. They just can't, they just can't sit under that convicting Word indefinitely without, without a broken heart and a, and a turning to Jesus. The Bible says that lost people were afraid to join this church because The testimony of this church was such that God was at work there. Sometimes people say, you know, I I don't want to have anything to do with the church. There's hypocrites there. Well, if you mean by that, I'm a hypocrite because I'm a child of God, I'm a Christian, and I'm not yet perfect, that's hard to believe. You just check with my wife. She'll help you with that. I'm not yet perfect. Does that make me a hypocrite in that the sanctifying work of God in me is not yet complete? I think every one of us would say, I'm not, I'm not what I will one day be, but by God's grace, I'm not what I was. We're all on that journey into Christ-likeness. That's not what a hypocrite is. A hypocrite is somebody who sits in a pew every Sunday, lost as can be. Going through the motions and fooling those around into believing that they're a child of God. I I hope you know Jesus. I mean, really know Christ this morning. I hope that Jesus Christ is the Savior of your soul and the Lord of your life. Being in a good church, even a good church like this one, cannot save your soul. There's not a church in this town that can take you to heaven. Unbelievers were afraid to join that church, but you know what else I noticed? It says, no one of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. You know, while they didn't agree with the church's message they had great respect for the way those Christians conducted their lives and they didn't agree with the message. Can we just understand that? for a moment. The lost people of Jerusalem did not agree with the preached message of the Jerusalem church. They hated Jesus Christ. They hated the gospel of Jesus Christ. They hated the message of the cross. They hated the proclamation of Jesus' resurrection. They, They imprisoned the apostles. They persecuted the church, all for the preaching of Christ. Would God give us a church where even as the world hates our message that they must repent of their sin and place their faith and trust in Jesus Christ as the only way to heaven, that even as they hate our message, they can say nothing against our testimony. Scandal, inconsistency, and hypocrisy weaken the church the testimony of the Lord's church, but faithful, holy, loving lives lived for Jesus leave even our enemies with nothing to say against us. Brother Jeff quoted in his prayer the writing of the Apostle Paul that we might live quiet and peaceable lives that our testimony for Jesus be not impeded. Southern Hills, if we must be hated, Let us be hated for the gospel. Let us be hated for faithfulness to Jesus. And as our Lord warned us that just as they had hated him, they would hate us also. I preached a message. I got to tell you, I'm not a sensational preacher. I'm not one of those guys that's that's always looking for the next controversy. I just I'm just a Bible preacher. Let's just open the Word of God and let's see what the Bible says. But but you know, there were a few weeks ago they they, they got this this Pride Month. You know about Pride Month? Have you heard about that? And man, I just became concerned, particularly for our young people. I thought I can't even open my email. I, I got an advertisement from Coles telling me that I ought to celebrate Pride Month. I thought, it's, so I thought, God help us if we just don't take a Sunday and give a biblical response to Pride Month. <laughs> and that thing went out over the live stream. And, and some of the, some of the, the, the local activists in, in our city got a hold of that Bible message and began to take little excerpts and little clips out of that and began to post it on their website and say, can you believe this is a church that, that, that is calling our lifestyle a sin, and it's just nothing you wouldn't preach or believe here. It really wasn't much of a message. But I'm telling you, that became a lightning rod for some hatred. In fact, one, one of those activists even said to Archer, you're on our radar now. I said to myself, if we got to be hated for something, let's be hated for faithfulness to Jesus Christ and a stand for his word. Well, we better get done. In fact, it's time. So let me give you number four very quickly. The power of the church was seen in the growth of the church. Verse 14. More than ever, believers were added to the church multitudes of both men and Women. Now, we know this early church experienced exponential, miraculous growth with people sometimes being saved by the thousands in one day. And sometimes we think this. We think, oh, those days are over. Those days are gone. We'll never see that again. I want you to think about this. In the sense of an apostle standing up and proclaiming Christ and and, and thousands of people come to Jesus at at one time, I I agree that that, that's maybe not typical of, of how God does His work today. But have you ever considered that God does still work that way today? Let me hit you with a couple of statistics real quick. It's estimated that there are currently between 2.3 and 2.5 billion with a b 2.3 2.5 billion Christians in the world today. It's further estimated that there are approximately 37 million Christian churches and congregations in the world. That means around the globe everything from little little tiny underground house churches in in places like East Asia, where where Christianity is effectively still against the law. They've got those little underground house churches to the most grand and glorious cathedrals in the largest cities of America. There are approximately 37 million Christian congregations. So I did some math on that. If that number is even close to right, 37 million churches of all sizes, do you realize if only 1% of those congregations saw a soul come to Jesus this week, that would mean 370,000 people were added to the family of God in one day dwarfing even the greatest successes reported in the book of Acts. I'm just helping you think through those numbers to help you realize that, that, yes, there were some miraculous and supernatural things happening in this early church where Peter would stand up and say, that was the Son of God you put on that cross. And with a simple message like that, thousands of people would repent and believe. You understand God is still doing His work today. That's why it's important that we be a missions-minded church. I know you are. You you prayed for a missionary family this morning. You you prayed for a sister church this morning. That tells me that, that you understand you're part of something bigger. You're part of a worldwide work of God that is bigger than any one church. It's exciting to be a part of what God is doing in the world today. No wonder Jesus said even the gates of hell would not prevail against his church. So what are we going to do about that? The Jerusalem church, a long time ago, in a place far, far way. We said the power of that church was seen in faithful leadership, in a Christ-exalting unity, in a purity and respect in the community, and even in its growth, the power of that church. Well, can I just give you a couple very practical things that we could take with us into the fellowship time and into the Bible study hour and even throughout this Lord's Day, just a couple of simple things that we might meditate on. Here's one. Be thankful for your church. You understand, churches like this are sadly not common. I wish that weren't true. There's a reason some of you drive from faraway places and towns and cities to to come to church here. You don't find a church like this just everywhere. I don't say that to puff you up with pride. I just say that to say, just take a moment today and say, Lord, thank you for Southern Hills. Thank you for a place where there is faithful, fidelity to the Word of God, where there is a spirit of love and unity. Thank you for a church that has a testimony in this community that there's something different there. Thank you for a church that's making a difference in the lives of people. Be thankful for your church. How about this? Pray for your church that God's hand of protection and umbrella of grace would continue to be upon this place. That this church... Would continue to be used. Pray for your leaders. Pray for your elders. That they might be protected from the fiery darts of Satan's temptations. That they might continue to be used of God in this place. The power of Christ to change hearts and lives. And maybe you this morning. Maybe as we read through that passage... We talked about faithful leadership and submission to that leadership. We talked about, we talked about a spirit of love and unity and, and how important that is to Jesus in his church. And You say, maybe I've not been doing everything I can do to, to kind of protect that and enhance that. Maybe, maybe at times I, I've been guilty of disrupting the, the peace and unity of the church a little bit. Maybe the Lord's spoken to you about that this morning. Maybe you're like one of those. One of those who are called in Acts chapter 5, the rest. And although you're here and you're in church and you you know how to sing the songs and, and go through the motions, maybe the fact of the matter is you've never truly made Jesus Christ your Savior and Lord by simple faith and trust. In him, I would invite you today to, to talk to somebody, talk to one of your elders, talk to somebody who invited you to church today. If you don't know for sure that you've been saved through faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, I would urge you to get that settled today. Could I pray with you, Father? As we walked through a few verses, looked at a church that was marked by great power, I thank you that we find that same thing here in Custer, South Dakota. In fact, Lord, all over this state, all over this nation, all over this world, you have faithful congregations like this one. Lord, bless this church. Protect it. Continue to use it. May each one of us be faithful until Jesus calls us home or returns to this earth. And I pray, Lord, that as the word of God has come through our ears, into our minds, that it would make it all the way to our hearts, that we would ponder today how you might use each one of us to enhance the work of Southern Hills Church. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.